Today's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 13, verse 1 to 9. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse 6. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the wine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is God's word. Thank you, Seahawk, for reading God's word for us this morning. And let me say how good it is to see some of you. And I mean, I can see some of you, not all of you, but at least I can see your eyes. And it's good to be able to gather again in this place for those of you who are watching us uh, from YouTube at home, thank you for joining us. And I, I want you to know that our elders have discussed how we might gradually reopen. And we believe God has tasked us to properly care and protect you as God's under shepherds of this, his flock. And so we want to open up as cautiously as possible. We have discussed this and we feel like if we are truly going to serve our community, we probably need to have six services like this. But we are not going to move in this direction until we see a significant oversubscription each week. So you can help us just by subscribing, just by, by clicking. It's a red banner on the right side of our website. It'll open up again today at noon. Uh, just go ahead and try and register. And uh, as we see more and more people not able to come who would like to come, we will then consider uh, opening an additional service or two or five. So help us in this regard. Now, this morning we return to our theme of radical dependence and Luke's gospel. And you may have noticed in the past few weeks that things have changed in Luke's Gospel. As Pastor Eugene shared with us, this section of Luke's Gospel is sometimes called the travel narrative because Jesus now has turned his heart and his face toward Jerusalem, not so that he could tour the city, but he did so in order that he might end up at the cross. So his message, like his heart, has begun to be more urgent. In fact, if you have a Bible like mine, there's a subtitle for the beginning of this chapter, which is Repent or Perish. Or as one preacher called it, Turn or Burn. Jesus' message has begun to be 
considerably more intense. He is speaking with greater urgency as he draws closer to the cross. Now, if you would like an outline, our outline is simple. There's only two points, and both points have the same conclusion. When bad things happen, or when things are fine, we, all of us, have a common need for grace. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's word. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that even while just a few of us are gathered, you in all of your glorious presence are here in this place and that there is no person watching at home or wherever they are watching who is watching alone. Your presence also inhabits that space. Now, God, turn our hearts toward you. Help us to hear your word. Stir us up to close the gap between what we know and what we do. And I pray that as we leave this place, we will leave a people with greater resolve as we close this service. All of us watching wherever we are will have greater resolve to turn fully into you. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin this morning when bad things happen. I don't know if you've experienced a challenging year. I had begun to take notes last week while Caleb was giving us a synopsis of all the horrible things that had happened in 2020. And at some point halfway through, I just like, why am I, why am I keeping this list? I already feel in my heart it's being tough. Um, bad things do happen. And as Jesus is going through all the towns and villages on his way to Jerusalem, there's a group of people who come to him in verse 1 and begin to tell him the news as if God is not aware. They come to him and say, you know, did you hear about what has happened in the temple of Jerusalem? And apparently Pilate has slaughtered some religious Galilean zealots and has sprayed their blood. He's desecrated the temple by spraying the blood of these Galileans on the very altar that is meant for sacrifices to God. I, I'm not really sure how I missed this story when I was a boy because I have no awareness of it in Sunday school. I, I think perhaps my Sunday school teachers and my parents made every endeavor to make the Bible somehow PG. And, and so I grew up with this perception of Pilate that's not actually that accurate. I, I thought, you know, he was basically a good man. And if, if not for those nasty Jews, he, he would have declared Jesus innocent. He, he was just like a weak leader. He, he was just swayed to and fro by, by popular opinion. But, but we have a contemporary, a Greek philosopher who lived in Alexandria. His name was Philo, who wrote of Pilate. Uh, he knew Pilate well. He had people in his school who lived in Jerusalem. And in the first century, in AD 33, this is what Philo wrote about Pontius Pilate. Marcus Pontius Pilate is a spiteful and angry person. We don't have many secular commentaries about Pilate, but we have this memory written by Philo, the philosopher who lived in North Africa, who knew this man's reputation to be spiteful and full of 
anger. Actually, um, there was another letter written after Pilate was no longer in charge, written by Herod Agrippa to his friend and new emperor Caligula. And, and this king, the last of the Herods to rule in Galilee, wrote Herod Agrippa, basically pleading with him. The summary of his letter is, please don't be like Pilate. And he wrote this to Caligula, Pilate was a man of inflexible, stubborn, and cruel disposition. He feared exposure of his venality. That means corruption. He feared, feared exposure of his violence, his thefts, his assaults, his abusive behavior, his frequent executions of untried prisoners, and his endless, savage ferocity. Please, Caligula, don't be like Pilate, because Caligula had ordered an erection of a statue of Caligula in the temple. And so Herod Agrippa is like, please, please don't cause a disturbance like the last guy, Pilate. Please don't do this. But notice, these news reporters were not really telling Jesus about Pilate. Look at what they say in verse 1. There were some present at that very time. Now, it's really important for us to leave the scripture in its context. At what time? At the very time in which Elder Caleb was teaching us last week. At the very moment that Jesus said, when you have a dispute with a friend, solve it, settle it before you get to court. Because once you get before the judge, then the deal is done. You will be a wreck. You will be messed. You will be locked up in prison till your last days. Solve your dispute before you get to the judge. These reporters were not talking about Pilate. They were pointing out these Galileans. And they were saying, as soon as Jesus said, resolve your dispute. Pay your debts before you get to the judge. These men were saying, I know, right? Did you hear about those Galileans? That was them, and look at what happened. Their blood was splattered all over the altar. And the implications is that was them, but it's not us. They died, were alive. They were bad. They didn't settle their debts, and so God settled it for them. But we're alive. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he hears speech and reads the heart. And so immediately he responds in verses 2 and 4. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Because they suffered in this way. Or, or those 18 that died when the, when the Tower of Siloam fell down on top of them. Are, are they worse offenders than everyone else in Jerusalem? Here's the thing, those news reporters were quite certain that bad things happen to bad people, but not to good people. And, and some of you are probably already thinking, but wait a minute, I, I know somebody good, something bad happened to them. The, the response to that question is, bad things do not happen to good people because we're not good. Only God is good. 
All of us, even us, enjoying the freedom to gather again in Grace Baptist Church. We have gathered as sinners saved by grace. None of us are good. Only God is good who has been gracious to us. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. Jesus said they they died in this way, not because they were worse, not because they were greater sinners, not, not because they were worse offenders. They died because we live in a broken and fallen world. It's not just that, fall, that towers have fallen, it's humanity has fallen. And in that world, bad stuff happens to all of us. So what then does Jesus say? Unless you repent, this is verse 3 and verse 5, you will all likewise perish. Now, now let me just be clear. He's not saying... Uh, this, you get that this is an analogy, right? He's saying, oh, sorry, I have to stay in front. <laughs> when we take these masks off, I can wander again. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> he, he, he's not saying that now I've totally lost my way. He's, he's not saying that we will never experience bad stuff. He's saying we're not better because we survived. He, he's not saying literally, unless you repent, an HDB flat is going to fall on you and you will likewise perish. He's, he's not saying literally someone's going to spray our blood over some other God's altar. He's saying literally you will likewise perish unexpected. Surprised. Trouble came suddenly. Do you think those Galileans would have gone to the temple if they thought that day... Pilate would have them executed? Do you think those 18 men would have sought shelter under a faulty tower if they thought it was going to come down on them? Trouble happens when we don't expect it. And, and here's what's fascinating. I, I just did this work for you so you don't have to. You, you won't even be able to read this. I googled, when will I die? And, and I was curious about this because I'm living as a foreigner among Singaporeans. And what I discovered two weeks ago is Singaporeans really, really love to plan. Be, because two weeks ago, Pastor Eugene led all of the elders in this um, time where we broke up into groups and we planned out ministries for, for 2021. And I was like, this is ridiculous. But everybody else was, this is so awesome. <laughs> I mean, Singaporeans really love to plan. And, and time is everything, right? Uh, we, we've filled our lives up with time pieces. We've, we've got clocks and watches. We've got smart watches. Um, and, and, you know, I've even noticed that in the MRT station, there are big flat screens that tell you exactly when the next train is going to arrive. But, but I've peered intently at those screens. And it does not say when I'm going to die. Because not even Singapore can plan like that. So I was just curious. I thought it's, it's ridiculous, but I'm just going to Google it because Google knows. You, you can't read it, so I'm just going to let you know. 5.7 billion hits that Google found. 
companies or billion companies, websites, blogs that use special uh, technology to calendar exactly the day on which I might die. But in truth, none of us know. Google might have some advanced life expectancy calendar, but none of us can plan, not even Singaporeans have planned the date of our birth, nor will most of us plan the day we die. It will come upon us. This past week, one of our oldest church members, Sister Fong Chi, Kenny's mom, died. She was called home to her eternal glorious reward. And I guarantee you, she did not die likewise. She wasn't surprised. It wasn't unexpected. Our sister didn't die surprised. She died waiting. Waiting for the day that God would call her home, waiting for the day that the grace of Jesus Christ that caused her to lean into him fully, to have her sins fully forgiven, waiting for the day she would open her eyes and be in the presence of her dear Savior. Friends, not even Google could tell you when the next tower is falling or when the next despot is rising. But the question Jesus would have us ask is the very question that Caleb had us ask last week. In days like this, when towers are falling, when despots are rising, what should we be doing? And Jesus, with great urgency, Others have died, we yet live, not because we're clever or more righteous, but because of God's providential grace. He generously affords us this day, repent. Turn into him, radically change your mind, have your heart transformed. You, you know, I know that there are some who are watching us right now, who are living with inconsolable grief. And, and maybe some of you have experienced extraordinary pain. You need to hear the words of Jesus. It's not because you're a worse sinner. It, it, it's not because you're a greater offender. It's just demonstrating that we are all in the common need of grace that he affords. So what about, what about the rest of us? Because I, I have the sense there, there are some of us who are sitting here just waiting for the sermon to apply to us. But because you know we haven't had great tragedy really in our lives. Life is, is pretty good. Our, our leaders are not corrupt and vicious. People are not slaughtered without a trial. We, we don't live in some banana republic. Things are pretty good. What, what about us? When things are fine, 
Luke remembers in verses 6 through 9, Jesus suddenly launches into a parable. And he tells this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. You you know what Jesus was doing? He was reaching back into the Old Testament. A story from the heart of Micah, inspired by a grieving father. He sings a lament in Micah chapter 7. The lament, Father God, walking in his garden, crying out, Woe is me! For I have come as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. God, walking in the garden, he had invested in, he had planted, he had cultivated, looking for fruit, and there was none. It created grief in God, the gardener, full of grief. Jesus was reminding those who have no problems. Others have died, but we survived. That the gardener is walking in his garden and he's looking for fruit. Notice something is happening here. We see it in verse 7. He said to the vine dresser, look for three years now. I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. So cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, this is a season of grace. I mean, for those of you who are working, I mean, just think about this. How would your supervisor respond if he came to your desk at the end of the week and you'd done nothing all week? Not well, right? Probably not with grace. He probably wouldn't say, hey, it's not working out for you now, but you just relax a bit. I'll give you, let's say, three years. The fact that Jesus said for three years demonstrates God's ridiculous, scandalous grace. No one would do that. And more than that, that three years perfectly aligns with the time of Jesus' ministry on earth at that moment. For three years I have pled with you, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now I'm drawing near the cross, repent. Repent. He cries out with urgency, not as the hymn writer writes, softly and tenderly does Jesus cry. But he cries urgently, tenaciously. You know this is a season of grace. 2020, more so than any previous year in our lifetime. We complain it's been hard. This is a season of grace. And in this season of grace, God is walking through his garden. And what is he looking for? He is looking for fruit. God comes looking for fruit. Now, 
Jesus is going to do something. Sorry, I've got to stay here. Jesus is going to do something that is surprising. He's going to expand our understanding of the original, the original creation command, which is be fruitful and multiply. For most of us, we think, oh, God's just talking about have more babies. For, for most mothers and mothers-in-law, that means, hey, um, you've been married for nine months. What's happening? Be fruitful and multiply. But Jesus dramatically expands that definition of fruitfulness. In John 15, he says this, by this, my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so what? Prove to be my disciples. Our, our vision is we want to be a disciple-making church. Disciples of Jesus bear not just fruit, but much fruit. But notice something extraordinary in verses 8 and 9. Sir, says the vine dresser, whose name is Jesus, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. If not, then you can cut it down. Let me get to the cross. Let, let me complete your work. G give it some time. Let, let me nourish the roots. Do, do you understand that the solution to no fruit is, is not stapling flowers and not stapling more fruit? It's not working hard. It's having a gardener of grace who nourishes our roots, who grows us deep in him. This is his work. After he did that work on the cross, cried out, it is finished. He died, got down off that cross, exploded out of his grave, and then continued to work. I've seen this happen. And if you walk on the East Coast Park, you, you, you've seen it too. I actually had to go back in the day to take a photo of this manure that workers in Singapore's garden place all around the roots of a tree. I've seen them actually doing it. It is hot work. It is stinky, sweaty work. Every time they dug their forks into the manure, steam rose from the pile in the tropics. They were drenched in sweat at 6.30 in the morning, working to put this manure around the roots. And you know what I noticed about them? These men are not kings. They're sure not presidents. They're not even citizens. Because honestly, what Singaporean does this kind of work? This is the work the king of creation does for us. He got off that cross and continued to work, pleading to the owner of this garden, let me have another year. Extend this season of grace. Let me bend over and shovel manure. Nourish their roots. 
I mean, just, just be honest. How much work is this tree doing? All, all it is doing is abiding in the place where it was planted. Soaking up the grace and mercy and work of the gardeners. I, I kept this picture of a fig tree. Not because it's a good picture particularly. But according to the website, this fig tree is about the same age as us. 60 years. I kind of blew it up. I couldn't see any fruit. It looks healthy, but I, I just couldn't see any fruit. And it made me wonder about us, GBC. We're 60, what, two? I, I wonder what the gardener sees when he walks through this garden, when he visits me in my office, when he visits your home, when he's looking for fruit, does he find it? Does he see the fruit of the work of Christ? When he looks at GBC, does he see love, joy, and peace? Does he see patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness? Does he see self-control? I, I want you to know I felt this week deeply convicted. Some of you are probably wondering, because you hear me talking a lot about walking and running on the East Coast, you're, you're, you're probably wondering to yourself, well, if this pastor exercises so much, how come he doesn't look like Eugene? <laughs> like, like well, why, why not so fit? Well, well, in my defense, let me just say, it's because unlike Pastor Eugene, I am radically dependent on sugar. It's true. Now, you know, you know Sherry's not here. She's not on the island, so I'm, I'm a little bit I'm untethered. I eat what I want to. I drink calories, which I'm not really supposed to do. And this past week, you know, the, the fridge was getting emptier. And so I decided I'm going to go to the grocery store because I need eggs. Eggs are protein. That's good, right? And so I got to the grocery store and I, and I saw something that is distinctly egg-shaped. Um, and, and by the way, peanuts are protein just like eggs. And, and the good thing is they're, they're covered in chocolate and the chocolate is covered with, you know, pure hard sugar. Now, now because I'm thinking of Sherry, even when she's gone, I, I thought, oh, like, what would Sherry do? So you see, I only bought the snack packets. They're very, they're very small. You can see my keyboard there. And I didn't immediately just dive right into it. I just put it there. I said to myself, now settle down, Ian. You are a little untethered, but, but then I opened it up and I can tell you there's only five M&Ms in there. So I was feeling quite pleased with myself. I, like, I didn't buy that big pack and I just got these little snack packs and there's only five M&Ms. And, and then I began to go right back to my message and, and I don't know if it was a few moments or an hour, but I just happened to glance at my bin And uh, 
suddenly I just felt so distressed. Like I have zero discipline. Like, yeah, radically dependent to all the wrong stuff. And so, and so I was so distressed that I, that I jumped up, I put on my shorts, and I ran five kilometers. Which, which maybe burned off four, four of those. Do, do you remember the passage that Caleb was preaching from? One particular verse. Luke 12, verse 50. Jesus, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. I, I suddenly felt so convicted because like you, I have lots of distress in my life. But so much of my distress is self-generated. I, I produce it because of my addiction to you know, bad choices. And, and, and then I'm distressed. But, but this is what distressed Jesus. He was distressed until any given moment and the time in which he completely fulfilled obedience to the Father was completely closed together. Do you have holy distress right now? Because that's a sign of a fruitful, cultivated fig tree. In this season of grace, during which some have died, but we have not, what should we be doing? Friends, may we be distressed until we can close that gap between what we know and what we do. Let us, oh God, be distressed until we are fully obedient as was Christ, sacrificially obedient even unto the cross. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. And if you're at home, uh, uh, join us. Just, just bow with us because suddenly I feel like God has indeed provided this COVID season to remind us what grace means. It's true. Our leaders are not despots. Our nation is not in chaos. But friends, it's not because we are better people and they are worse sinners. It is because he is a God of grace. When bad things happen and when things are fine, he invites us in this season of grace to turn fully into him, to embrace fully the God of mercy and of grace. To turn away from our own choices and to come closer into complete obedience to Christ. Can any of us say right now, I cannot and will not tolerate any space between what I know he is asking me to do and what I'm now doing. 
until I am fully and absolutely obedient to Christ, I will not tolerate this distress. God, help us to close that gap. What does that mean for us? Well, it may mean something different to every one of you. Some of you watching online, all of us sitting here, some of us might need to say, I know God expects me to follow Christ in baptism, and I've been creating spiritual reasons to keep the gap between what I know and my obedience open. Friend, I'm praying for you that God would allow you the distress of knowing that gap is deep and wide. But in this season of grace and mercy, Jesus works on your behalf, pleading with the gardener, give me time in this season of opportunity that this tree might blossom and fruit and close the gap between where they are and where you desire them to be. For some of us, it may mean we have got to decide to turn away from our tendency to look at things we shouldn't look at. To go to websites we should avoid. To form relationships with people who need the gospel, not our friendship. All of us find ourselves in a different space but in the same season. All of us are the product of the gardener's faithful work. Would you take a moment right now and say, oh God, may my roots grow deep in you. May I faithfully honor the work of my Savior, who does this sweaty, back-breaking work of nourishing these roots, God, give us the grace of godly repentance. For those who are at home, Father, I pray that they would, each of them, feel an intense sense of your presence with them right now. And I pray that as you walk through this garden that your own son continues to cultivate, you would begin to see fruit. Fruit not of our work, but fruit of his spirit. The fruit that looks like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control in this season of opportunity. May we turn fully into you, we pray. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen.